If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm Russ. I'm on the team here. I actually get to serve our Lancaster campus. And speaking of which, would you help me welcome the Lancaster family right now? So pumped. Lancaster, you can get louder than that. I know it's 930. You've had your coffee, your espresso, your pour over. Anybody feel caffeinated this morning? You feel ready to go? Um, and uh, I just also want to say, I know Pastor Zach just said this, I also want to say another hello to all of our guests since uh, I'm going to be the one getting to share with you this morning. Um, I am not the regular pastor, so if you hate today, please come back. I say that every time. But we think it takes three tries to get to know us, so keep coming uh, back. But I'm so glad that you're here. If you, I don't know, if you're a guest and maybe someone dragged you here or you saw it online, one of the things that's really, really interesting to me is every week I get to call all of our guests. And it's fascinating to me the diversity reflected in our community. I don't know if you know that, it's, but it's really cool. Every week I talk to people that come for the first time that are the super churched, the de churched, the never been to church every week. Uh, I'm an atheist. I'm coming here and I'm showing up to everything, but I don't even know what I believe yet. And so I love what Pastor Zach said. This really is the place where you can belong before you believe. And I don't know about you, but I just think this should be the kind of community where you leave feeling built up, not beat up. And you leave, and so I don't know what you believe, but I pray by the time you leave, man, something's lifted in your heart and in your spirit. And like Pastor Zach said, today is the last day of 2020, and uh, you can see everything on uh, the board. If you've been here through the whole journey, Pastor Tim has just laid out brilliantly steps to get vision. What better time uh, than the beginning of a new year and decade to say, I don't want life to happen to me. I want to happen to life. Uh, Proverbs 29, 18, old school King James Version says that this way, where there is no vision, the people perish. You know that? Like vision isn't just like one of those inspirational, fluffy, like, man, it'd be great to have to dream again. No, vision's a life or death matter. In any area of my life that doesn't have vision, it's going to perish. Anybody ever found that out on a diet? Like if you don't have vision for where you're going, every Reese's peanut butter cup on the planet will call out your name. This happened to me a few weeks ago. I, I was like, man, I, I just know the way I, you know, want to feel in the summertime. And then I drove by Cheesecake Factory in the Reese's Peanut Butter Atom Cup, you know, Triple Fudge Cheesecake. It called my name. And I died in that moment. Um, any area of your life, whether, whether it's relational, financial, spiritual, if you don't have a financial vision, man, it's going to perish. And uh, I love one trans, one description I've heard of vision that I love, and you might want to write this down, is a vision is a mental picture of a preferred future. It's a mental picture of a preferred future. And our prayer is that through this series, as you seek after God, God has been giving you a mental picture of a preferred future. Man, this is the kind of spouse that I want to become in Christ. This is the kind of Christ follower I want to become. This is the health journey I want to go on. And Pastor Tim has led us through the four steps. The first one is seek God. And it makes sense. If, I, if I'm going to seek, if I want a vision, it, it makes sense to consult the one who created me and fashioned me and formed me and designed me and say, God, before I was ever born, you had my days mapped out and you had designs on me. I want to seek after you. Anybody been, been feeling like in this season of prayer and fasting, God's just been downloading things. Maybe it's just glimpses. I've talked to so many people that has been so encouraged. We're seeking after God and glory to the name of Jesus that we're going to eat our brains out tonight after the X night, though. That's the biggest shout I get all day. And then we talked about circle up. That if you can, if you can reach your vision by yourself, your vision is too small. 
But God wants to put a vision in you so big that it's going to require people around you to build it up. And so we have Circle Up coming on. We want everyone a part of X Church to join a community, to join our small groups, what we're now calling circles. And then I love the practical step last week of define it. Habakkuk 2 says, write the vision, make it plain so that you can run with it. Anybody just this week, you've just been writing and journaling things that God's been giving you from the vision. Only one person raised their hand, but I just believe everybody else on the inside, hands were just flying up. That's what I believe. And then today is step out. Turn to the person beside you and say, step out. (laughs) I love that 930. Step out. You know, maybe pretend like you're an Incan warrior this time and turn to the person and say, step out. Say it with some sass. That one was just weird. So, but yeah, we got to take a step out. At some point, visions have to turn into decisions. And if God's going to download something in us, we, we got to, Habakkuk says, write the vision so that you can run with it. At some point, the vision God gives you is so big, you got to start taking steps in the direction. And really, the, the message today is insultingly simple. So if you're like me and you're like, man, I don't have the highest IQ in the world, make it really simple. I'll go ahead and give you the ending. It's this, what's your next step? In life, what is your next step? I want to talk to you for a few moments about the power of a step. The power of a step. And you, you can start from when we're really little and we take our first step. It's so funny because I'm not a parent yet, Andrea, and so it's really funny when parents t- get really excited about their kid's first step. You know, can I just be honest? I fake it right now. I'm like, man, are you kidding me? They took a step. I mean, every human does that eventually, but oh, man, that, that's crazy. That's crazy stuff right there, you know, and, and I get it. One day if I'm a parent, like, I'll understand, and I'll be like, oh, my gosh, little JoJo and Susie, they just took a step. But right now, whenever parents get ready to tell you that their child took their first step, they, they build it up in the sense that you think they're getting ready to tell you that their kid began to fly, you know, like, man, it's sprouted wings and just began to fly over Arkansas and through the states, and it's like, oh, but, but it's, they took their first step. It's like, that's, no one's ever done that before, but I guess you know, you know now that I'm faking it if I act excited. But I really am excited because I love you and I love them, so we'll move on. But the power of a step, and maybe it's because, you know, deep down as a parent, you know that that one step is going to lead to another step that's going to lead to a lifetime journey, and, and you're excited because you know what's in your kid. Um, but maybe you think about the first step of the first time you asked someone out at school. Remember, like, tears of nostalgia running down your face? You remember the first time you said yes to the date? You said yes to the dress or whatever that phrase goes. Maybe it's the first, maybe it's that when you took a step to get married, you took a step to graduate, you took a step to go back to school, you took a step, you took a leap of faith to go after that job. Maybe you took a step to move and try a new adventure or open that business or open that job or, or whatever it may be, the power of a step. And as I was thinking about this, like I still remember the power of one of my first really big steps. And it was the step I took towards my lifelong dream of marrying Mandy Moore. And and, uh, yeah, I think we have even, even a picture of the dream, um, you know. Um, I remember, anybody remember, anyway, <laughs> I see some. Anybody in here uh, walks, remember, Pastor Zach's favorite movie? Yeah. Where, the rest of you, there's going to be an altar call at the end. Walk to remember Mandy Moore, you know, she was a pop singer in, in, you know, I don't know, late 90s, early 2000s. And I remember hearing at that moment that she was also, like, really 
like passionate about Jesus, and she was this sweet, like wholesome girl. And so I was like, oh, I mean, this is meant to be, you know. And so like I just had this dream. I walked, walked to remember, not on purpose. Someone dragged me there the way I remember it. But I remember watching Walk to Remember and thinking, I'm going to marry Mandy Moore. And then I remember I took my first trip to the DR, Dominican Republic, and between my uh, sophomore and junior year in high school. And I don't remember to this day how I found this out, but I was taking one of those charter planes to another island, you know, the kind you don't want to get on that are taped together and, you know, uh, someone put, you know, masking tape. But I remember, so I was scared, but then somehow I found out the pilot was Mandy Moore's dad. It's like, this is my chance, you know? I don't know why you're laughing. I was like, this is my chance. And so I spent the whole flight, I did. I wrote, I wrote her a love letter. And I said, hey, you don't know me, I'm Russ. Um... Uh, I've heard you're single. Good news. I am too. And uh, uh, I've heard you're a Christian. I am too. And I live in Greenville, South Carolina. So the next time, you know, you're in going around that way, if you'll just let me know, I'm going to put my number, my email at the bottom. You can just get in touch with me and, you know, I'll come pick you up. It's no problem. Like I'll pay for dinner or whatever. I'll borrow money from my parents. We'll make it happen. The whole thing. And it's just going to be amazing. So the flight ended and I gave it to uh, her dad on the way off the plane. And he smiled and was just, okay, that's okay. And, um, I didn't get a response about the date for whatever reason. <laughs> and, um, but two weeks later, I got this in the mail. Yeah, I mean, it's whatever, you know. I mean, not a big deal, but it is. Um, and, yeah, so, you know, get jealous, whatever. It doesn't have your name on it. It has my name on it. But I took a step, you know, and it didn't, all the rest of the steps haven't completed yet, but <laughs> she took a step back. It was a small step, but it was a step. <laughs> but seriously, the power of a step, you never know. And as I was thinking about today, I've thought about the story of a guy named Abraham uh, in the Bible. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Genesis 12. Uh, if you don't have, you, you can, I love today, you can either turn your paper Bible, you can turn on your digital Bible, or you can check out the Sky Bible. So if you don't have a scripture, no worries, we got you covered. But Genesis 12, it says this, it says, God told Abram, leave your country, your family, and your father's home for a land that I will show you. Take a step, Abraham. Completely out of your comfort zone. I'll make you a great nation and bless you. I'll make you famous. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I'll curse. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Will you help me read these next three words together? So Abram left. Together. So Abram left. By the way, this is before his name was changed. If you're familiar with Abraham, this is before his name was changed from Abram to Abraham because a lot of times when God is going to do something new in, his, in your life, he'll give you a brand new identity and a brand new name. And by the way, ex-church, happy late birthday because about a year ago to two weeks ago, God gave us a new name and a brand new identity, same vision, same mission, but a brand new future. And God does that for people and he does that for churches and he does that for the people that he has a calling on their life. It says, so Abram left. Can I just be honest? If this, it's a good thing my story wasn't here because it would, it would read differently. It would probably say, so Russ asked a lot of questions. <laughs> Anybody else? 
So Russ says, how are we going to get there, and how long is it going to take, and who's going to help me get there? And I'm just going to be honest with me. What does the GPS system look like? Are there going to be 5,000 burning bushes that are going to dot the Arabian Peninsula so that I don't get lost and end up in the back closet? How is it going to happen? But it says, so Abram left just as God said. I'm actually going to stop reading there. I want to try something. you want to try something together? Can we do it? Yeah, I'll take that one yes as a resounding, you know, collective shout. So, you know, um, you know, next week we're doing 30-second theology. I want to try three-minute seminary. I'll take your blank faces as a heck yes. Okay, here's what we're going to try. Uh, we're going to try to go through all the scripture in three minutes. I probably won't get there, so please don't time me. But we're going to try, and I'll explain why in just a moment. Because this is Genesis 12, but you probably need to know what is leading up to this and coming after this. So I want you to imagine with me, for, first of all, if you're familiar with scripture or you're not, maybe this will help all of us, whether you're brand new to church or you've never been to church. But if you can imagine the first two chapters of Genesis before anything bad ever entered the world. This is God saying, let there be light, let there be land, creating the cosmos with his breath. He's articulating the solar systems and galaxies into existence. Garden of Eden, paradise. He, at the climax of his creation, he creates mankind. And even better than that, at the climax of creation, he creates woman. And all the women said, amen. You do know in the poetic creation of the universe, it is actually building an order. And so woman was the top and the crowning of creation. And at the end of that... By the way, I'm trying to get some boy. Okay, at the end of that, um, all of this is going incredible. There's no sin. They're clothed in the glory of God. Can you imagine? No insecurity, no inadequacy, no feelings of having to prove, no pain, no sin, no disease, no death, anything. Nothing but unobstructed walking with fellowship with God, the creator of the universe as your source, the way it was intended. And then in chapter 3, tragedy struck. And they disobeyed the one rule that was in there. And you, and you got to catch this. What was powerful and tragic about this moment is that not that they broke a rule, but they broke a heart. They betrayed the heart of their creator, uh, high treason against an infinitely holy and loving God. And in that moment, everything that you and I feel in our bones, every time we bury a loved one, every time we feel inadequate, every time we feel fear, any time we battle with addiction, everything we see on the 7 o'clock news every single night, the weariness we feel in our bones, it all goes back to chapter 3 when the fall came in. And things began to be separated. Unsurprisingly, by the very next chapter, chapter 4, is when we have the first recorded murder in history when Cain kills Abel. Not surprisingly, over style of worship. Uh, chapter 5 is pretty much a genealogy of death. By chapter 6, the whole world is so bad and wickedness has spread so crazily that God decides to hit reboot on the whole deal. And he says, Noah and your family, since you're righteous, I want you to build an ark. It's never rained before, by the way, but it will rain. What does rain look like? I don't know, but just take a step. Build the ark, and then it rains. And then chapter 6 through 9, we have the flood where God builds the whole flood to flood the whole world. We're going to press reboot. But Noah's Birkenstocks barely hid the mud in chapter 9 when this horrific drunken episode occurs and we realize that the problem, sin, is still firmly lodged in the middle of man's heart. There's another death count in chapter 10. Then by chapter 11, like you heard a couple weeks ago, the pinnacle of pride has so filled the heart of man that they say, we're going to build a tower of Babel and be like God himself. So God comes down. He confuses the language, just scattered them across. And then all of this train that is going off the rails come to a screeching halt in chapter 12 where most theologians say this is the most pivotal text in all of Scripture. Because for the first time, God introduces himself as a covenant relationship God. And he makes three specific and unconditional promises 
to Abraham. He says, through you is going to be a land, a people, and a worldwide blessing. And then the rest of Scripture and the rest of humanity is an unfolding of those promises. Did you know that? Abraham has Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and then all of these descendants and inhabitants of Abraham become the uh, Hebrews, which who become the children of Israel, who eventually become the Jews. And we have thousands of years of prophets and priests and kings that are prophesying one day there's going to be a hero come along. He's going to be a descendant of David, and he's going to make everything right. And they make four dozen specific prophecies about this man. And then finally, after 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, this guy named Jesus rises up out of the midst of it, and he comes along, a king of the Jews, and he lives a life that we could never live. He dies a death we could never die. And he actually creates a brand new structure where he says, I'm not just for the Jews, but now it no longer matters whether you're Jew or Gentile or Greek or Hebrew or black or white or rich or poor, whether you got a bad past or a good past or whether you've blown it more times than you can count. I've come to pay the sins of every single person that will call on the name of the Lord. He dies. He comes back to life by the power of the Spirit. He raises to the heavens. Because he goes to the Father, the Father pours out the Spirit on a church and Jesus says on this church I will build my name and the gates of hell won't be able to stop it and 2,000 years later no matter who tries to stomp it out it will keep going and there's going to be 2,000 years later a church in Lithopolis that I'm going to use for my glory and in the middle of all that there's going to be a lot of crazy hyper spiritual people that think they know how everything's going to turn out in Revelation and they're going to have charts of blood moons and all kind of stuff but however it happens eventually I'm going to come back and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and I'm going to wipe away every tear from their eyes there's going to be no more death, sickness, disease or death and they will be with the Lord forever. Now, why do you go through all that? Well, one, because sometimes it's good to pan out and get a, a bigger picture of the story God's writing. But the main reason is this. Here's what, here's what I want you to think about today. All of those things were waiting on the other side of Abraham taking a step. You and me knowing Jesus, the fact that there's an ex-church, the prophets, the priests, the kings was just on the other side of Abraham taking his next step. And here's what I want to ask you today. I wonder what all is waiting on the other side of your next step. I wonder what all is waiting on the other side of my obedience. Will I trigger a multi-millennial way to Messiah? Probably not. That's already happened. But for real, Mandy Moore might write back. Who knows how many of your family members might be changed forever by you taking the next step God is inviting you into to build the future. Because here's the deal. Abraham had no clue, did he? He had no idea. Abraham, I'm going to call you to leave everything comfortable. Where am I going? I don't know. Abraham, how are you going to get there? No idea. Abraham had no idea the more that was in him. He had no idea... What all God had for him, he had no idea the exceedingly more God was dreaming to do through him if he would just step into his future. And what does it look like for you and me to step into our future today? To say, God, you've been giving me a vision, but now I'm going to step into it. And um, it's, it's really tough, isn't it? Like, because to be honest, if I'm Abraham, I'm, I'm, I'm asking, can I tell you one of the frustrating things about following Jesus? Can I just tell you? You do know there are th frustrating things about following Jesus, right? Are you too holy? Are you too really? You can't admit that? Okay, okay. Can I tell you, if you're thinking about following Jesus or you've been following Jesus, can I tell you one of the frustrating things is? Here's, here's what I've found in my journey. I can't speak for you. Is that if I seek God 
he'll give glimpses and he'll give vision and he'll give a next step and not a lot in between. <laughs> yeah, you ever notice that? No one? You ever notice that? Like, he'll give you a vision, he'll give you a next step, but not a whole lot of the blueprint. I love uh, the verse in Psalms that says it this way. It says, the, the word is a lamp to our feet. In Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. You, you know what a lamp is, right? It just shows the next step. Can I remind somebody, this is just a pastoral moment, but as you keep taking steps towards the vision, I hope we also keep taking steps every day towards the vision giver. Because this is a lamp to my feet. Anybody felt like you've been in a season where it's dark and confusing, you don't know which way to go? Maybe It's like when you're in a cave. Can I just ask you, have you had the flashlight turned off and in your pocket? This is our day, one of the many reasons God wants us to fall in love with this word. I was reading through Psalm 119 yesterday, and it, it just moved me so much. The psalmist said it this way. He said, the unfolding of your word gives light. Every day I want to sit over, long over these life-breathed words and let the unfolding of these words pour over my soul and give me light. But, but don't you wish, let's just be honest, don't you wish instead of this being a lamp to our feet is more of a moonbeam? Come on, Lancaster, don't you wish? Don't you wish, like, uh, I God, thank you so much for this word, but right now I need a tractor beam to show me, like, how I'm going to get from A to B to C. And can I just be honest? I think one of the reasons God does this is he knows it would scare the heck out of us. Don't you? He would, he, it would scare the, like, if Abraham knew, because here's the thing, if you read through the story of Abraham a few chapters later, he's already 80 years old and still no kid. God, you made a promise to me. It's been decades, and you say that nations are going to come out of me, but I still don't even have a kid. Sometimes I think we're scared to take a step because we've had so many disappointments over the steps we did take, and we've not yet seen the step we want to see God take. Anybody real in the place? I was talking to somebody the other day. They said, I'm just so disappointed. And I said, that's okay. I'm sure Abraham was too. In fact, Abraham would make mistakes to try to hurry the process along, and God would have to come back to him. There's moments. I wish we had time. He would say, Abraham, come out of the tent. Let me take you outside, and let me show you the stars. I need to inspire you one more time. That, Like the stars in the sky and like the sand in the seashore, my promise to you will come to pass. The flower fades, the grass withers, but the word of God abides forever, and if I said it, I'll do it. And we let circumstances lie to us and steps in the past tell us, yeah, but I've tried that before. And can I just encourage someone, take your next step. He who promises faithful. You might be like Abraham saying, I am a hundred years old at this point, but nothing's happened. But God says, take your next step. There's a guy named Lao Tzu. I love how Lao Tzu says it. He's the ancient Chinese philosopher that you were all reading this morning over coffee. And, and we say this a lot in XU. He says, the journey of a thousand miles begins with one single step. I think sometimes we don't follow. God doesn't show us the vision because he knows it would scare the heck out of us. And maybe you're like me. I think maybe sometimes, I can't speak for you, but sometimes God doesn't show me the blueprint because he knows if he does, I'd fall more in love with the plan than I would the guide. Because the, joint, the, the, the point is not the destination, it's the journey. The, the point is actually God himself and falling in love with him and following the shepherd and not falling in love with the blueprint that he would lay out. Is this speaking to anybody? I know this is, for me, this is real life. And, um, and so maybe you've had, or maybe it's not God's missteps, maybe it's your missteps. And your struggle with 
with shame, and you need to hear the psalmist say, a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up the eight. You need to hear that no matter how many times you've fallen down, you can get back up. I love that Abraham made so many stupid mistakes. He lied at times. One time to, 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 to get the whole air process lineage going, he actually had his wife uh, sleep with someone else. And our choices have consequences. But can I also tell you I'm glad that God writes our story in grace. And when we keep coming back to him and placing the broken pieces in his life, there's a quote I love by Larry Randolph. <laughs> Maybe you'll, you'll relate to this. He said this. He said, when God predetermined our destiny, he factored in our stupidity. <laughs> Anybody else thankful for that? Uh, I love the way Charles Spurgeon said it. Charles Spurgeon said, he said, I sure am glad God chose me before I was born because he surely wouldn't have afterwards. <laughs> and so God accomplishes everything he ever promised Abraham. And Abraham does have a son, Isaac, and he He's offered to, to test him, and he's tested in that, but he, but he passed the test. And then Isaac has Jacob, and then Jacob has 12 sons, and one of them is Joseph. And, and, and you know the story of Joseph. Again, like Abraham, God gives Joseph a dream, but the next 20 years don't look like the dream, do they? He's thrown into the pit. He's betrayed by his brothers. It looks like it's never going to come to pass. But then God touches him at the end, and then he's in the land of Goshen. By the time the book of Genesis ends, there all his family's in the land of Goshen. And when you turn the page to the first page of Exodus, several hundred years have passed. The Pharaoh has forgotten who Joseph even is. And the children of Israel, just like the promise that God gave to Abraham, have multiplied into the millions to the point where the Pharaoh enslaves them. And out of this comes another guy that's got to take a step. His name is Moses. And I wish we had time to talk about all the crazy stories of Moses. All I know is Moses was somebody that was raised in the palace of Egypt, ended up getting frustrated because he was a Hebrew and he saw his own people being mistreated. He killed a guy in a moment of rage and then had to flee to the backside of a desert. And by the way, this is just another nugget of hope for somebody today. If Moses, who was a murderer, if God can redeem and restore his past, God can redeem and restore any past in this room for his glory and turn it all around. So he redeems Moses. And then Moses... One day is, ten, he probably thinks, I'm a has-been. My best days are behind me. And then one day, you've probably heard the story, there's a burning bush. And he goes to investigate. And I love it because I didn't see this until a few weeks ago when I was reading back through this story. The Bible says when he saw the burning bush, he turned aside. And when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside, he spoke. I've heard so many people during this fasting prayer time say, I've never felt God closer. And you want to know why? Because I think at times so many of us, we hear Pastor Tim talk about the burning bush. We come clap about the burning bush. But then there's those moments where you and I have to own our faith and we have to turn aside. And through prayer and fasting, we say this isn't going to be a Sunday thing. This is going to be an all-life thing where I orient my whole affection, life, attention to going after God. And then we find out, man, when we get real with God, he gets real with us. And he begins to speak to us and, and spit at us. And, um, but about ten chapters later, uh, God has spoken to Moses. He bypasses all Moses' insecurity. He says, I'm going to use you. He confronts the Pharaoh, all the plagues and all this stuff, and finally the children of Israel have escaped. They're getting ready to go through the Red Sea, and I want you to check out one of the funniest verses in all of Scripture. Are you ready to laugh? You sound like it. Okay. All right. Didn't we tell you, this, this is the, the children of Israel complaining to Moses, didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. 
Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. Somebody say amen. Somebody say a louder amen. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. Those enemies that keep bothering you, there's going to come a point where I'm going to conquer them once and for all. The Lord himself will fight for you. Anybody thankful for that? Just stay calm. Here's the part that will make you laugh, though. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. And again, back to the simple point of this day. Why are you crying out to me? Get moving. Rough translation, hey, Moses, quit praying and get going. I hope and pray that my life continues to become consumed with the spirit of prayer. I know I don't pray like I should. I know I don't pray as fervently as I should. I know that no revival, church or personal, begins without being consumed in prayer. But can I tell you what I've also learned as a Jesus follower? That prayer is not a substitute for obedience. And that I can't pray away action. And that I can pray for God to do his part, but I can't pray away my part. And Moses says, God, help out. And God looks over the balcony of heaven and says, no, step out. And can I just ask you, I wonder if there's any areas of our lives today. Come on. Come on, ex-church. Let's, let's get real with the Lord. Are there any areas of my life today where I'm waiting on God to help out and he's just waiting on me to step out? He's saying, I've already put my spirit inside of you. I've already put my promises over your life. I've already promised you my blessings. I've already given you a new nature. and a new, you have made, I, I am with you, Moses, so let's go. You, you ever been at a, at a red light and they didn't go and it turned green? It's just honk, honk. Sometimes I think that's what church is. Like, uh, it's green. Go. Come on. God, help out. God, I have, I don't even know how I'm going to pay my next bill. Like, I'm so strapped financially. Help out. I would love to, says the Lord. Go to the Next Steps area and sign up for Financial Peace University and stop making excuses about why you can't do it. But invest nine Mondays of your life to change your financial landscape and your future forever. 50% clap. The 50% like, I hate you right now. But come on. Same with me. What if we decided today's the day that we let the funeral music begin to play over all our excuses? Man, Lord, help me. Man, help me out in my marriage. And I just got to speak. Look, I can't imagine what it would be like to be in 10, 20 years of marriage and think, I've already tried everything. There's no hope. Can I just remind you that the Lord that breathed the stars into existence has not met his match with you in your situation? You are not stronger than him, and your mountain is not bigger than he is. And I'm telling you, what does it look like to give God soil and room? What The most spiritual thing you could do today isn't to pray, it's to choose. I'm going to choose to make a counseling appointment before I leave today. I'm going to choose to find somebody that can help. Maybe, I don't know, maybe my next step is, Pastor, look, I, I, this screaming preacher right now, I don't even know what you're talking about. I just know I'm on the journey of faith, but I don't even know what I believe yet. Join an explore class, a community where you can get in a moment with people like you that have honest questions and just say, man, let's talk about this. 
Hey, maybe Jesus has saved your life over the last year, and your next step is baptism. Your next step is to let a pastor lead you into the waters and dunk you under the waters saying, goodbye to my past, goodbye to the old me, and then I'm going to raise up out of the waters saying hello to a new life. My past is behind me. My sin's at the bottom of the sea. i got a new nature, a new identity, a new future, and it becomes FBO today. It becomes Facebook official. I'm telling the world on the outside what God has done to me on the inside. Come on, what's your next step? Man, maybe it's, I saw you break glass and cut your fingers a few weeks ago talking about worship, but I'm still that person. It's just not my personality style. But you've known Jesus for 10 years. What if today, when we sing the song at the end, you take the glass jar of comfort and shatter it against the brick wall and say, I'm going to begin to express body, mind, heart, and soul the praise that God deserves. I'm going to follow the footsteps of the psalmist that says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I'm going to give him everything I got. I mean, what is it? What, join a gym, hire a trainer. What? I mean, I'll, I'll train you. You know, I, I trained Pastor Zach, and you know, you see how big he's getting. It's, man, what, what is it for you? What, what is it? Is it, is it circle? I'm not, I'm not in community yet. I'm going to go to the circle up. Man, what is it? You, you guys are the great. Can I just tell you, I love you. <laughs> and I love preaching here, and you guys are just so awesome, and I love everybody in Lancaster. And you guys are always so encouraging after I preach. You guys are always so like, man, that was so great. And if I don't hear from you, I just assume you hated it. But, but the most encouraging thing for me today would not be pats on the back. It would be to see a Next Steps area that's so overloaded, that's so swamped, that's so busy. The servant leaders start crying. That, not crying. I take that back. I'm so sorry to our Next Steps team. I don't want you to cry. But you know what I mean. Like, man, our life changes when we go from being a hearer of the word to a doer of the word. And we say, man, I think, God, you're speaking to me, and nothing is worth hindering the next step into the future that God is calling me into. God, I, I bless my finances. I would love to, but I cannot and will not violate my own principles. And as long as you rob me in the tithe and you have an unblessable financial landscape, but if you would honor me in that area, I would honor you, and I'd actually open up the windows of heaven so big and pour out so much provision that you wouldn't have room to contain it. What does it look like to take a next step? I remember, um, you know, I, I usually don't like to talk a lot about my stories because I just, I'd rather tell you the funny stuff, the, um, the, uh, the self-condescending things, the getting lost. But, um, you know, there's one story I share with Pastor Tim, and he, he, just, he just asked me, he said, you know, this, I thought this was so encouraging. He said, you should share this. And so I don't know how many of you are familiar with my story, but, you know, I'm from Greenville, South Carolina, it's where the, the Tigers play, but anyways, it's not a big deal. It's not a, whew, okay, anointing in favor left. They are planning an attack too soon, so sorry, so sorry about that. Anyways, but uh, I remember growing up in Greenville and then, man, just getting consumed with God at an early age and going, and I served under the same leader for 15 years because I just believe in the power of being planted, and I followed him to Lexington, Kentucky. About 20 of us planted a church, and about halfway up there, f dream of mine, full-time vocational ministry happened. Uh, but it, it was tough years, I'm not going to lie. If you've been a part of church planning, and it's just, it's a different animal altogether um, with a different headwind of the enemy's attacks. And my pastor at the time, he left. Just a lot of things happened in his life. Great man of God. We still have a good relationship, but he had to leave and and. The weight of, of, and this isn't a sob story, I don't, I'm blessed, but it, it, it was a tough season, a really 
in a tough season for me, a really broken church fell on my shoulders, and I was the interim pastor for about 10 months, didn't feel a piece about staying there, prayed about a few different things, ended up supernaturally, I mean, God just made it so obvious I was supposed to move to Atlanta. And uh, I, I moved to Atlanta and was there for five years, some of the best years of my life, two and a half years after I got there, that pastor left. <laughs> so I'm having like an abandonment complex, like, man, like, set my breath, like, what, you know, what's going on? Like, and I just remember it was one of those seasons where I'm like, man, like, in great years, again, can't, don't have anything to complain about. Again, I found myself as the interim pastor for a while, trying to pray and help the process and wearing a lot of hats. But I knew in that season, I knew that I knew that God was beginning to speak to me about a next step. All the staff, all the brothers that I was around the table with all left. I was the last one there. Some other things were happening in my life. It was a really lonely season. And I knew that there was going to be a next step. And I, I did all the things that, yeah, I didn't do everything perfectly, but I tried to do the things I encourage other people to do. Be slow to move. By the way, if no one's ever told you this, just a pastoral moment. Don't make your big decisions in the storm. Don't make your big decisions in the storm. And my pastor had just ingrained that into me. Be slow to move in those seasons. And uh, I believe that God puts spiritual leadership and authority in your life for a reason. So I, I talked to the pastor there, and we had a great relationship. I just knew it was a different man, different vision. And uh, I surrounded myself with godly counsel. The Bible says there's safety in the multitude of counselors in a circle, in a godly circle. And I tried to walk all that out well. And I was thankful I had a mentor in my life to tell me something really wise. He said, you know, son, in this season, this is not a season for you to keep fighting for what you want, but to be faithful in what God's asked. And so I tried to keep doing that to the best of my ability. But I just knew, I was like, this month, a couple months from here, from now, I won't be here. And then two months turned to four months, which turned to six months, which turned to eight months, which turned to a year, which turned to 15 months. And about two years later, I'm like, God, I'm so thankful. Got nothing to complain about. But the loneliness of feeling in between seasons, I just feel like I'm dying inside. I, I got emotional this week, just to be honest, at one of my restaurants, just reading through my, during that season, I filled up like three journals, that thick. And I'm just reading through seasons where I thought, man, I'm never going to make it and see the light of day at the end of this season. Anybody ever been there? Like, and maybe if you explained it to somebody else, they'd be like, I don't understand. But you, you know, like it's, you know your journey. Everybody's different. And I just, but then I'm also seeing promises and prophecies from God and words and verses that I'm clinging to in the middle of the night. And I'll never forget, I, I was reading through this book at a really timely moment. And I'm going to read you just, just a page, so hold on. This is from Irma Manis' book, The Last Arrow taken from the story of Elisha, striking the arrows to the ground, not saving anything for the next life, but giving our all. And he said this, he said, for Elisha, this wasn't a turn from wrong to right or evil to good, but rather from the life he had to the life he was offered. Elisha's extreme action was both his declaration and his determination that there was no turning back. If in a few weeks or months or even years things were not going as he'd hoped, if Elijah did not prove to be a man worth aligning with, or if the future became more difficult than he'd imagined, there was nothing left to return to. He had only had one direction, forward. And here's what Erwin writes. He says, as long as we have a contingency plan to go backward, then backward is where we will find ourselves going in the end. For too many of us, our plan B is to go back to the life we never wanted in the first place. Isn't that exactly what happened to Israel when they had finally found their deliverance from Egypt? They kept trying to go back to the very life they were delivered from. But if slavery remains an option, we will find ourselves abdicating our freedom. We just don't usually call it slavery. We call it safety. We call it comfort. We call it security. 
We call it responsibility. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a plan B or a plan C or a plan D. What I'm saying is that all your alternative plans need to be oriented toward the future and not stuck in the past. It's not that those who settle for less don't want more for their lives. It's that they want the more where they are and not willing to go where the more is waiting for them. Yet over and over again, we find that God presses against us and forces us to choose. While Abraham, this was confirmation, was still in Mesopotamia, God spoke to him and said, leave your country and your people and go to the land I will show you. Now, I'm not, in, I'm not an Abraham. I'm certainly younger. But th this was for, for sure a season. Go to the land I will show you. Where? I remember during that season, I flew to Miami. And I thought, maybe this is it, but I didn't feel a peace about it. And by the way, Miami's warm. And there were several, and I'm not a big deal at all. It was, just in the, it was just in that season, God opened doors, but none of them felt peace. And I'm like, where you will show me. And in that season, I had journaled vision. God, this is what I believe you're saying about the next season. And can I just give you a really good thought for life? And I, who knows what I know. But can I give you a good phrase for life? Decision by vision. See, vision is not just powerful because it gets you going. And by the way, vision is not just a luxury for when life is good. It's also a necessity for when life is bad. It's vision for the future that gives you the strength to endure the pain of the present. But see, vision also is a funnel through which you pour your decisions. Lord, should I do this? I go back to the vision. What have you spoken? Where are you calling me? And it's not always going to look like what I think it's going to look like. But God, where are you saying to go? So I'm going to make my decisions not based on the comforts of the flesh or what seems convenient in the moment. But I'm going to live in, in the moment but live for the future. Because you got a future calling on my life. And I remember I read that and I said, that's it. Line in the sand. I don't want to stay too long out of comfort or leave too early out of frustration. So I went the next day to the bank. I had my savings. I had my emergency fund. But I started a new fund. And I told the banker, I said, label this the next arrow fund. Because if by this day I don't know where you're calling me, I'm going. Where would I go? No idea. I wrote up a few plans. I just knew by this date, I'm going to have savings. I don't want to dip into emergency fund. I'm trying to do the Dave Ramsey thing. Anybody else you trying to do the Dave Ramsey thing? No one. Okay. Maybe you'll sign up for FPU. But I was trying to do the Dave Ramsey thing, but I was like, I need a next arrow fund because I don't really know the next step. I just know I need to take one. And I'll never forget the day I got a call from a guy named Tim Moore. We had a mutual acquaintance, and he said, I want to tell you about a church that God is building in Central Ohio. And it's not just a church for church people, it's a church for all people. And it's a church where no matter what somebody's going through or what they've been through or what they're walking through, this is a place and it's more than a church, it's a movement. And I don't know if you realize this, what God is building here, it's not just a place, Lancaster, it's a movement that God is breathing into. I want you to read this verse from Haggai, I love this. Message translation, and you can go ahead and stand while I'm reading so I shut up. It says, yes, get to work, for I am with you. The God of the angel armies is speaking. Put into action the word I covenanted with you when you left Egypt. And here's a word for you. Are you ready, ex-church? Will you just raise your hands and receive this? It says this, I am living and breathing among you right now. Don't be timid and don't hold back. God is breathing among us right now. He's breathing among us right now. And can I just... 
If you need it, beep, beep. The light's green. Take a step. You never know what's waiting on the other side. One more verse. Let's bring it all back around to the point of it all. Jesus, this is Hebrews. It says, you know what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering you on. It means we better get on with it. Turn to your neighbor's shovel and say, get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. Because he never, Jesus needed vision. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he is there in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again. Item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Every head bowed. Father, thank you. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Would you just palms up wherever you are and just ask God in your own way, Lord, what are you saying to me? Holy Spirit, what's my next step? What is my next step? And I'm praying today, God, that you would shoot adrenaline into the souls of your people and give them the courage to take their next step. In Jesus' name, and all God's people shouted, amen. Come on, can we give God thanks for his word today?